Okay, the book of Daniel. It is uh, 12 chapters, not near as long, of course, as our last few books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and of course, Jeremiah's Lamentations. We add that, added that in. That's where we combine two books, and Ezekiel. So those three were also what are considered major prophets, and Daniel's considered a major prophet, even though he's, his, the length of his, his book is not as long even as Hosea, which will, Lord willing, be our next week's study. It's uh, two chapters shorter than that. It's 12 chapters, but he's considered a major prophet because of the uh, things that he, uh, that he has included in his book. Now, Daniel is kind of uh, all over the map, literally. <laughs> and he's all over the map because um, a few of these uh, chapters in here are kind of what we call biographical. They're about him. They're about his three friends that we'll look at tonight just a little bit. And they're also about um, a couple of the kings uh, that he served under. And um, we, we'll look at those tonight, too. So we'll see, um, we'll see that Daniel's kind of, uh, it's not written in, in the exact order. In other words, chapter uh, 5 actually occurred, um, or excuse me, chapter 7 and 8, I believe, occurred before chapter 5. Uh, and you can see that when you read in there that it was the year of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in, in his first year, and it'll say his third year. So it, it, that kind of skips around as far as that goes, but that doesn't have anything to do with the, you know, the uh, inspiration of it. Certainly it's still inspired scripture, it just... Not all in order, but there are a lot of books that are that way in Scripture. So let's move uh, move forward with this and kind of kind of try to hurry through some of the outline part of it, and we'll look at some of the details tonight that we can spend a little time on and just kind of hurry a little bit through the outline, just to help you get an idea of how uh, the book is laid out. So the key word is we've looked at a word or a phrase, and for each book we've studied uh, so far, and the key word is the word dominion, and the, the reason being is because as we'll see in the book of Daniel. Uh, even though he's at a time where, where they're in captivity in Babylon, uh, there's a lot in there that has to do with the, um, not only Babylon, but uh, Medo-Persia, which took over Babylon, Persia, which took over um, as a world power. But also, uh, Daniel is a, is a key uh, in a lot of ways. It's a key to the book of Revelation. But also, Daniel tells us, um, as far as history goes, some of the things that happened or will happen between or happened, but as, you're, as we're reading, we're in the Old Testament time frame, so to speak, that will happen between Malachi and Matthew during that 400 years of silence. Who is uh, the, the world power at that time? So we'll see that tonight. So dominion and there are 12 chapters. The word king, of course, our word dominion, you know, is king or kingdom. King is found 183 times. The word kingdom is found 55 times. And so these are kind of some hints that it would be about that very thing. That'd be the theme of it is dominion. Um, of course, Travel Atlas, thanks to these gentlemen and some others also for uh, helps and study. So time-wise, we put, I messed up again. That should say Daniel instead of Ezekiel. I, I meant to change the names on there. It should say Daniel. 607 to about 534 B.C. And although Daniel probably lived well into his 90s, that's just kind of a rough estimate, but they went into captivity in Babylon in 606 B.C., uh, 606 years before Jesus was born, is when uh, about the time that they had gone into captivity in Babylon, in which King Nebuchadnezzar uh, was over Babylon at the time. We'll see that in a moment. He's mentioned three times in Ezekiel, and we talked about two of those last week when we studied Ezekiel. We looked at chapter 14, verse 14 and verse 20, 
Uh, but we didn't look at 28.3, but it's found there also. his name is found there also. And then Jesus mentions him both in Matthew and in Mark. Now, Matthew 24 and Mark 13 are parallel chapters. That is, they're the same time and same event. And Jesus mentions uh, Daniel by name uh, in those two books, in those places, because he's talking about the tribulation, and we'll see that tonight where, that's, where he refers back to a place in Daniel. Um. Journal timeline there, Daniel chapter 1 verse 4 uh, goes, coincides with Isaiah 39. If you look with, with me at chapter 1 of Daniel and verse 1 to 4, <clears throat> in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Jerusalem and besieged it. So Jehoiakim was the king when uh, they officially went completely into captivity. Judah went into captivity uh, to Babylon and the king of Babylon goes in. Now remember, some people, very few, stayed in Jerusalem. Many of them were taken away into captivity. And Daniel and three of his friends are some that were taken away into captivity. And when you study back and look at their names, um, his friends that we'll see in just a little bit were actually descendants of kings. Daniel might have been possibly also. But look at verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, with part of the vessels of the house of his God, or house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure of the house of his God. That's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar. And this king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes. And so those are the, the friends of Daniel there. Verse 4 Children in whom was no blemish. But well flavored, well favored, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldeans. So Daniel and his friends were seen as above, uh, kind of over and above, uh, even the rest of those that were taken in, and they were sons of royalty. And probably had been taught a lot because of that, um, been, been taught um, uh, a lot more detail than any other kids would have been taught at the time. And so they were very, very well learned in uh, science and knowledge, as it says there. And it says they might, that they might be able to stand in the king's palace. In other words, they were able to you know, stand before someone and actually you know, talk and be able to, to um, as it said there, they'd be able to talk, be able to give them the, the tongue of the Chaldeans. They'd be able to learn a language that was not theirs. And so Isaiah 39, verse 6 to 7, if you want to, we don't, we're not going to turn there for time tonight, but that basically that, that passage in Isaiah that Isaiah spoke many years before, this is the fulfillment of it. He said that there would be those that would be taken into captivity and made eunuchs, and that's exactly what happened. So uh, that was fulfilled uh, in the first few verses of Daniel chapter 1. He went into captivity about eight years before Ezekiel did. And so they likely knew each other. Um, possibly they, they knew each other, or at least knew of each other. And as far as our timeline, that helps us understand a little bit more how it's laid out with the books of the Bible. He ministered under three, uh, well, it's really kings, but it should say in three kingdoms, but under three kings, but uh, under in three kingdoms. Babylon, which is where they are here in chapter 1 under Nebuchadnezzar. Then Media Persia, uh, those two, which are really a combined kingdom. And um, he, he, he served under those. So, of course, like the other prophets before him, like Isaiah and Ezekiel, it was written during their time in captivity in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. Uh, that's where they were in captivity. That's who it was written to. But we'll also see that it's written for us uh, today. A lot of it, we'll, we'll see that as well. 
So a basic way to just simply outline the book uh, is just divided in half. Chapters 1 to 6 is the historic record, which gives some biography, as we said. We'll look at a moment at Daniel and some of his friends and some, some of the kings. And then there's the prophetic record. There's a lot of prophecy in Daniel that ties Revelation in with it. We'll see that as we go. Uh, quickly, we'll go chapter by chapter pretty much just to give you an idea of what we're looking at. So because 1 through 6 is history and biography, uh, chapter 1 we see worldly customs are challenged. Daniel and his friends, as we'll get to in a minute, uh, they're challenged uh, by the king, by the, the, the things that they eat and or would not eat. And um, there was a test that they took, that, and um, after 10 days, they proved themselves to be even stronger than the king's men. And, of course, the king fed his men well, and they were even stronger than him, uh, than them. So uh, they're challenged. The worldly philosophy is challenged in chapter 2 because that's one of the key, two key chapters in the whole book. The whole book's important, but chapter 2 is very, very important. And so worldly philosophy is challenged because Daniel... Uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar, who's a pagan king, he sees that Daniel has a wisdom far beyond even his wisest men. And he realizes, he makes a statement a little later, that the spirit of, of, you know, of God is in him. Uh, chapters 3 and 4, King Nebuchadnezzar's pride is challenged. Uh, we'll get to that, but chapter 3 is the, the, the famous um, um, story you hear from Sunday school all the way through of Daniel's three friends, the three Hebrew children that are thrown in the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow to the idol. Then we get to chapter 4, the king's pride is challenged because he has this dream about a tree, and the tree represents him, and God humbles this king in a very unique way. We'll get to that. Blasphemy is judged in chapter 5 because um, a, a kingdom comes to an end and another kingdom takes over. We'll get to that. And then in chapter 6 is the... Um, uh, another famous um, story you hear from the time you're in Sunday school and Bible school, and that is uh, uh, the chapter of Daniel in the lion's den, where he goes in, uh, you know, where he's, he prays and he's, he's accused by the, um, some of the king's um, um, main men, and the king signed an agreement or signed something uh, that no god could, uh, you could pray to no god except for their pagan gods. And Daniel continued to, pr to pray the true and living God, and he was placed in the lion's den because of it. And then those who persecuted him are actually judged there. So then you get to chapter 7 through 12, and this is the prophecy, all these in Daniel. Now chapter 2 has some, but chapter 7 talks about some future Gentile empires. We'll look at those briefly tonight. Uh, chapter 8 has prophecies in it about the Antichrist, which is to come. We talked about him Sunday morning, in fact, in our message. And then chapter 9, Daniel's 70 weeks uh, are mentioned and the Israel's restored. We're going to go through that as quick as we can, but yet try to make some, some progress on that tonight. Then in chapter 10, some visions are interpreted by an angel. And chapter 11, there is about political conflicts of the uh, end time, uh, about some, uh, some of the, and the Antichrist, in fact, is included uh, in chapter 11 also. And then we get to chapter 12, Details of the length of the time at the end. It talks about uh, what, will, what it will be like as you get to the end. All right, so chapter 1, Daniel and his friends stand by their convictions. And as you read through there, we won't have time to read all of it tonight, but as you read through there how they're taken into captivity, they're brought before the king. The king knew that they were different from any of the others, and they knew, he knew that they were descended from royalty, at least Daniel's friends were. And so because of that, look at... Um, 
Uh, and well, verse 10, the, the king wants them to eat and drink uh, the, the food and the drink that he has. The food, the meat that they're drinking, probably that which was offered to idols, which, you know, Jews would not, they would not partake of that. And it probably even more than that was something that was considered unclean. Uh, could have been pork or something like that that they did not eat. And so Daniel had a, he had a solution for that, had a, had a challenge for the king. Um, he speaks to one of the king's right-hand men named Melzar in verse 11. Then he says in verse 12, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let, the, uh, let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. That would be some type of vegetables um, because apparently they didn't eat any of the meat that the, that the Jews were able to eat, like beef or something like that. They probably ate something that was probably like pork or something, as I said. Verse 13, let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that, that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal well with thy servants. Once you read through there, you'll see how the king is impressed with them, uh, impressed with their knowledge, impressed with their physical stamina, uh, impressed with them very much. And so they rise to a place of leadership because of that. Skip chapter 2, as we said, that's got some prophecy, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But in chapter 3 is one of my very favorite places in all of uh, the book of Daniel, and, a lot, and probably one of my very pl favorite places in, in uh, the Old Testament. This is where Nebuchadnezzar had made an image of gold, and it stood 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he had it set up in the plains that is in the, in the open area. And when music started, everyone was to fall down and to worship. It's an interesting thing. Daniel is not mentioned here. We don't see his name found in chapter 3 at all. Where was Daniel? We don't know. Maybe he was sent on some type of um, uh, errand for the king. Maybe he went to another place to, um, to, to bring a message for the king to someone else. The scripture doesn't say. He's not mentioned in here either way. But his three friends are, and uh, his three friends that stood together, um, they, were able, they, they learned how to stand alone. Um, even though they were together, they stood alone. They stood against the king's commandment. They said, king, and they were very, they were very uh, kind towards him. They weren't, they weren't brash about it. They said, king, uh, we are not able to bow before this idol. We're not going dis to disobey our God. And, you know, he said, well, if you don't, then into the fiery furnace you go. And they said, you know, we, we're not going to do it. We believe our God will deliver us. But if not, but if not, we're still going to worship him and we're not going to worship your idol king. So they stood strong. And as you know, um, the, um, uh, the fire did not even burn them whatsoever. There was a fourth man in the fire. Uh, that was Jesus, I believe the scripture makes that clear. And uh, so they were, they were spared from the fire. They were kept. They were preserved. They never burned. Nothing burned. Not even the things they were wearing. And then the ones who had placed them in the fire, the king had them, uh, they, they actually burned up. And then he, he, uh, he brought these young men to a, to a higher position because of their ability to stand alone. So that's just a picture there. That's an artist rendering, not an actual picture. That's a picture on the left of the... Uh, of the statue and people bowing as you see before it, but those three men would not bow. Um, and so um, you see them in the fiery furnace there, uh, and then there's someone with them, and the Bible says, likened to the Son of God. And that's Nebuchadnezzar looking into the furnace and realizing that they, uh, they were spared. They honored their God, and their God honored them. Uh, chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar is humbled in chapter 4, and uh, this happens after that event. And uh, the thing about chapter 4 is by the time you get to the end of it, he realizes that God is the true and living God. And he's humbled. 
he uh, has a dream of a tree. It says there in chapter 4, and the tree uh, basically falls down. And it's broken and falls down. And so uh, the Scripture says that it would seven times would pass over him, and he would uh, basically act like an animal and eat grass like an ox. And that's what happened to him, and he was humbled. And the Scripture says um, what happened, it, it sums it up in what uh, King Nebuchadnezzar learned about that. Chapter 4, look with me at verse... Um, uh, let's see. Look with me at verse number four. Nebuchadnezzar, I Nebuchadnezzar would rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known the interpretation of the dream. Now he had done the same thing in chapter two, which we'll get to in just a moment. He'd done the very same thing, brought all his wise men in to interpret the dream. Remember when Jesus was born and the Bible says that there were those that come from the east, men that came from the east, it's very likely that they came from this very same place um, to, to uh, find the, the star and find the one, the king that was born that the star uh, brought them there. And so it's very likely that it was some of these same, not the same people, but that had descended from these probably because they're called magicians and they're called magi by some. You know, when Jesus was born, uh, magi is a short word for magician. Uh, astrologers and Chaldeans and the soothsayers. So these who came to um, um, later on that would come to worship Jesus uh, as a king, they knew the stars. They knew where they, and they knew that that one star standing over, over where Jesus uh, was, that that wasn't an ordinary star, and it wasn't in their charts. And so, likely they were some the descendants of these very same ones, or uh, learned the very same things they did, maybe from Babylon also. So it goes on that he has that dream, and Daniel interprets that dream for him as he did a dream in chapter two, and so. He says, it goes on to say that um, he interprets the dream. Go down to verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee till thou know that the Most High ruleth over the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. So seven times would pass over. Um, I believe seven years would pass over. So he did that for a period of time, a long time. Um, look down at verse, um, verse 33, because 32 repeats what Daniel had already said. Verse 33, the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat, did eat grass as oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, just like Daniel said it would be, like God told him it would be, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes into heaven. My understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. So he had to learn a hard lesson. He had to be humbled uh, there in chapter 4. We get to chapter 5. Um, after he dies, Belshazzar is the next uh, king uh, after him. He's a son of Nebuchadnezzar, according to verse number two. And after Nebuchadnezzar died, Belshazzar was the king. And so he offers a feast um, in his house. 
he offers uh, a feast to all, um, brings in people from, from everywhere, princes, wives, concubines, and comes in. And he took the golden vessels. Look at verse 3 of chapter 5. They brought the golden vessels that were taken to the temple of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine, and look what they did. They praised the gods of gold, silver, brass, iron, wood, and stone. So here they took these instruments, these vessels that, that his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem when they sacked Jerusalem. He took all these vessels that were in the temple, these things that were set aside for the purpose of worship and serving God. And he took them and he made a mockery out of them. He, made a bla uh, he, he blasphemed God by drinking out of these things and, and not, just, not just because... Um, um, they didn't belong to him, but because of the fact that he, they drank and praised to these gods of gold and silver and so forth. And so um, God said, enough is enough. And so the Bible says that there's handwriting that comes upon the wall. Um, look at verse 24. This was the part of the hand sent from him. This writing was written. So there was a hand of God. This this found a little earlier um, in, the, in the chapter where uh, it mentions that his, uh, his finger, with his fingers, with his hand, he's, he's going to write. And this is what he writes in verse 25. The Lord does this on the wall. Uh, this is a writing that was written therein, many, many, tekel, a parson. Uh, this is interpretation, verse 26. Uh, many, God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances, are found wanting. Perez, the kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So the finger, the hand that uh, the finger wrote those things on the wall, and it was a judgment on him as king, but also it was a judgment that his kingdom was ending and that the uh, Medes and the Persians were about to take over and be the next world power. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But he uh, was warned of God, this is what's going to happen. In fact, it says there in verse 30 that that very night he died. And then verse 31, Darius or Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old. Media Persia would be modern day Iran, uh, if you're looking on a map, would be that area. So um, God takes that kingdom away from him. And the old, I think that's where the saying handwriting on the wall comes from. That's where it comes from, is that very event. In chapters 44 and 45 of Isaiah, they were fulfilled there in verse 31, if you're still at chapter 5. And Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old. It said that the kingdom would be removed. And that was what Isaiah said many years before he prophesied that uh, Babylon, their kingdom, one day would fall. And it did. And so the Persians took over, the Medo-Persians took over. And that's fulfilled in chapter 5 and verse 31, a fulfillment of Isaiah of chapters 44 and 45. So uh, we see where Daniel stands alone uh, in chapter 6. We talked about this. We're not going to it a lot. You're familiar with this. This is where uh, some, of the, uh, some of the king's uh, the men that were serving under the king, some of the uh, Persians that served under him that had probably known him a long time, they thought, you know, we're going to get this Daniel. We're going to do something about him. And we're going to get the king to sign a decree that no, uh, that you can't pray to any god but their false gods. And you couldn't pray to, to uh, the god of the Israelites. And so the king signed it. And then he realized it was too late. He already signed it and he couldn't go back on it. So because of that, and uh, uh, they basically framed him in that when they did that, uh, he, was, he was to be taken and put in the den of lions. That was to be the punishment for it. And as you know, the king 
Um, so he had great favor towards Daniel. He thought a lot of Daniel. Daniel, he realized that he was not just, um, you know, any ordinary person. He certainly wasn't found out he wasn't like those that served under him, that Daniel could be trusted. But here Daniel prays to his true and living God. And because of that, he's thrown through the, the lion's den. The king spends a whole night, cannot sleep. And then the next morning he comes out and just hoping maybe Daniel's God spared him. Maybe he, he helped him. Maybe he delivered him. And sure enough, he did. The Bible says that um, he told him, he said, Oh, king, that my God has shut the lion's mouths and there's no manner of hurt. And so uh, those that were destroyed, Daniel, they were destroyed. They were thrown in and they became lunch. So anyway, those are the biographical chapters and the history chapters. Chapter 2 give us the four world kingdoms before, during, and after Jesus' life and ministry. It begins with Babylon. Chapter 2 is the first kingdom, which is where Daniel finds himself serving as after they've been taken there. And then Medo-Persia, where Daniel also served until he died. And then later on, Greece becomes the world power. And then Rome becomes a world power right before the birth of Jesus, um, a number of years before Jesus is born. So when they, when they, um, in chapter, when we get to chapter two, if you'll back up there, this is one of the key chapters about prophecy that puts um, past history, present, and uh, future in perspective, because it, it mentions the kingdoms that would be kingdoms until after the time of Jesus. So he sees uh, the king has a dream, and he has Daniel come and interpret the dream. And he's looking for someone to interpret his dream, uh, even among his own men, and, and he couldn't find anyone. So go with me to, um, to verse uh, Daniel chapter 2. Go with me to verse number 24. We're going to skip around a little bit here. Daniel went into Arioch, and whom the king ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. Now remember, we're back, we're back in Babylon now. We, we left off whenever he was in Medo-Persia, but we're back in chapter 2 to Babylon. He went and said unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king. I will show the king the interpretation. And then the next verse or two says that uh, Arioch, one of the king's uh, men, took Daniel into him and says to the king, Daniel's going to tell you. Um, and then look at verse number 28. There's a, um, there's a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to King Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And then he begins to talk about um, the king, the, the, that God was going to make these secrets come to, to, to be known. Look down at verse 31. This starts it. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. Now, in the Old Testament, the word terrible, that word has changed in the English language over the years. We, we use it now as something that's horrible, that's, that stinks, or is terrible, or something like that, in, in that sense of terrible. Um, Terror in that day, uh, or in the, the day Old English, was basically terror that uh, struck someone. Uh, they were awestruck by it. They, they were, they were, they were um, in awe of it. It was something that got their attention. And so terrible meant something a little bit different than it's, than it's become today. And so he says the form there was terrible, and here he describes it. This image's head was of fine gold, breast and his arms of silver. You can see if you look at the chart there, um, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron, part of clay. 
Thou sawest till there was a stone cut without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Verse 35, Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, and the silver, and the gold broken in pieces together, and become like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So as you read through here, um, you see where Daniel interprets this dream for him and tells him what's going to happen um, with each of these kingdoms. Verse 37, he says, verse 36, this is the interpretation. Verse 37, thou o king art a king of kings. Notice it's a and not the king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And whatsoever the children of men dwell in the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given to thine hand and made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. So Babylon is the head of gold. That's modern day Iraq. But Babylon in that day under Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. And that's about 606 B.C. And then he tells him that, the, um, that eventually another kingdom will take over. As you read them through here, for time's sake, we won't. But that's Medo-Persia, and that's what we saw at the end of chapter 5 going into chapter um, 6 there where um, the, uh, that kingdom falls under Nebuchadnezzar's son. And then Medo-Persia takes over, and they're the next kingdom. They're silver. Notice as you look down through there, you see something significant as you see each of those uh, go from, from top to bottom. They all become a little cheaper, don't they? You go from gold to silver, to bronze, to iron. And not only that, uh, it's top-heavy at the top. And then it's lighter by, by the others, the metals down below it. And so gold is uh, Babylon. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Medo-Persia, 536. Somewhere around 330 B.C. roughly, during what we call the silent time between Malachi and Matthew, Greece was in power. Um, the, Greece, uh, the Grecian... Um, um, government, the Greeks, they were, they were, Greeks were in power all over the known world at the time. They took over after Medo-Persia. Um, they were, they were horrible. Their, their, um, their ways of, uh, of, um, of, of, of capital punishment were just terrible. War, they were merciless. And so the Greeks were in power uh, until about 100 B.C., uh, roughly about 100 years before Jesus was born. Rome was in power until about 346 A.D., uh, the, uh, 346 years, uh, about 300, you know, 30, 310 years or so, 12 years after Jesus had uh, rose from the dead and, and ascended to heaven. And so Rome was the world power, and that world power finally ended. But the stone that it mentions there that we saw, it said it would break them in two uh, or break all of those kingdoms. And then there are ten toes at the bottom uh, that after that, after that um, statue is is uh, demolished. Look with me at verse, um, uh, let's see, pick up at verse 39. That shall rise another kingdom inferior to thee. Remember, each one, it got cheaper as it went. Gold to silver to, to um, brass or eventually to iron. And another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule, that's, that's Greece. The fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Um, even in the history books, secular history, you know, Rome is, uh, you know, iron power. And subdueth all things as iron that breaketh these shall be broken pieces. Then it mentions um, they would be divided. Look at verse 42. As the toes of the feet were part of iron, part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. 
Verse 43, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and a kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. It shall stand forever. And so those ten toes, actually we'll see in just a moment, they come into play during the time of the Antichrist. Those ten toes, are, um, they're, they're not mentioned anymore after this, but we'll find out that those are ten kingdoms under the Antichrist. So those are the four world powers. So this ties world history from the time of Daniel on into the New Testament, and even because of Rome, even after Paul and John finished their letters. Chapter 7 gives four future Gentile empires. Uh, it mentions a lion with eagle's wings and how its wings are plucked. We won't read these verses chapter 7. We're running out of time. Then it mentions a, a, another beast that's like a bear. He's raised up on his side. He has three ribs in his mouth. He was told to arise and devour much flesh. And then there's a leopard that has fowl's wings, has four heads, and he's given dominion. So he's a leopard with chicken wings. <laughs> and so he's, he's given the wings of a fowl, and he has uh, four heads on him. He's a, he's a power. But then it mentions uh, one in uh, chapter 7 there, exceeding dreadful, terrible beast that has iron teeth, brass nails, has ten horns, and a little horn, which uh, plucked out of three horns. Horrible-sounding monstrosity, isn't it? But that is a description of the Antichrist, and it ties... Revelation back in with Daniel. We do not have any kind of time to go into that right now by any means, but that's just to give you a little, little taste of something, maybe to go into study on your own. Uh, Babylon is that first one, the one that's the lion with eagle's wings. The bear uh, is by media, is typical of Medo-Persia. And then Greece is, uh, is the one that says has uh, it's a leopard with four heads. And Greece, when they were in power, their four main uh, uh, countries under them were Macedonia, Thrace, Syria, and Egypt. And so that fits together. But the interesting thing is it skips Rome and goes straight to the kingdom of the Antichrist. That's a strange thing because when the Antichrist comes into power, the old Roman Empire will be revived. And that's why it goes straight to the kingdom of the Antichrist. So we don't have time. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll turn to these. But if you look in chapter 7, as it's describing these um, in verse, for, the, for the, those that are listening on the, on the podcast, chapter 7, verse 7, verse 20, and verse 24, they match perfectly. Um, that last beast is described matches perfectly with Revelation 12, 3. Revelation 13, 1, and Revelation 17. And I'll turn over, we're running out of time, but I'll read these and uh, we'll match them real quick with, the, with the, that place in Daniel. Revelation, first one is in chapter 12, verse 3. Remember it had those heads and the horns. A horn in Scripture always is a symbol of, a, of power or a leader in power. 12.3 of Revelation. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Chapter 13, verse 1. I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Um, chapter 17, verse 3. 
So he carried me away in the spirit of the wilderness, and I saw a woman set upon a scarlet beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. It shows up over and over there. Verse 7, and then also verse 12 mentioned those horns and those crowns. So that kingdom uh, is for that time, uh, and that fourth one is the kingdom of Antichrist. Chapter eight talks about the ram and the he goat, which are um, which are or excuse me, which are um, um, Greece and um, and Rome. They are the he goat. Those are found in chapter eight. Um, there, so you go from chapter two from those kingdoms with the ten toes, and then three kingdoms and the antichrist, and then the ram, and then the he goat with the horns which also is a similar to Antichrist. So in all three of those, even though they're less each time, the last kingdom always is the Antichrist. Chapter 8, the ram is, uh, I'm sorry, I told you the wrong thing. The ram is Media Persia, the he goats, Greece. I got them, I got them turned around. I said Greece and Rome. Media Persia and Greece. Then the four horns, as we said, are Thrace, Macedonia, Syria, and Egypt. And the little horn is Antichrist. Now, we'll get into this chapter. This is one I want to try to squeeze some time in. This is the key chapter in the book of Daniel. Chapter 2 is just right behind it. Uh, the key chapter, one of the most chapters, important chapters in Scripture, especially when it comes to, to prophecy and time in the book of Revelation. It mentions 70 weeks of years, which is 490 years. And we won't go into those 69. We're going to go into that 70th one and talk about it tonight. But one week represents a year, and, it's, and it talks about the 70 weeks and the 69th week going to the 70th week uh, in Daniel chapter 9. Jan Daniel chapter 9 verse 2 confirms what Jeremiah said and his ministry. Uh, if you're back at, at Daniel uh, chapter 9 verse 2. The first year of, of his reign, I, Darius, uh, excuse me, I Daniel, this is under King Darius, uh, understood the books of the number of the years where the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So their captivity was going to be for 70 years and he confirms Jeremiah as a person and the prophecy that, that he uh, proclaims in his book. Chapter 29 verse 24, it gives us why these 70 weeks uh, come to pass and why that very last week, which we said a week is a year, just to shorten this a little bit for you, that 70 week, 70th week of years is seven years, which is the tribulation that is to come. Chapter 9, verse 24 begins to tell us why it's going to happen. So we talked about the tribulation Sunday morning. Uh, wasn't any time to get to this verse, but this defines why that 70th week, why the tribulation will happen to Israel. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. This is why. To finish the transgression, what was the transgression? They rejected their Messiah, right? To make an end of sins. Because they rejected their Messiah, then they were still in their sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity, to make their sins right. To bring in everlasting righteousness, and that's what Jesus will do. To seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. So these are the reasons, according to this verse, that that 70th week... Uh, which we call the tribulation, will come to pass. Verse 25 to 27, it divides up that last week, those seven years, into three and a half and three and a half. And these are the key verses in chapter 9 that put together 
uh, prophecy that's to come in Revelation. We're running out of time, but let's, let's do read these three verses. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Now, I hadn't fully studied this out. I don't know how he, he, he removes the seven from the, from the other 62, but they come up with 69, all right? The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. Now, as we know, it will include the temple. Look at verse 26. After threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. So here is one of the few places in Scripture that use that title for Jesus, Messiah. It's found in verse 25, Messiah the Prince. It's found here, Messiah. And then it's not mentioned again until the New Testament twice. But anyway, I don't want to throw that into confusion. I just want you to see that it's not mentioned much. But this is what it's about. But not for himself. Why is that? Jesus come to die for the sins of all mankind, not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, that's the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and the end of the war desolations are determined. Here we go. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Remember, that's a week of year. That's seven years, right? He'll confirm the covenant with who? With Israel for one week. Look at this. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice of the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even into the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Man, there's so much prophecy wrapped up in those three verses. It's, uh, it's just very, very full of prophecy. And so here it tells us halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to go into the temple. He's going to declare himself to be God. We find that in the New Testament. He'll declare himself to be God. He'll declare that they should worship him and bring sacrifices to him. And from that point on, the tribulation will increase quickly. There will be great, um, uh, they'll, they'll hunt down people that don't take the mark. There will be a lot of deaths. And then, of course, there'll be destruction going on the planet. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be terrible <laughs> to use it, and a double meaning terrible. It's going to be very terrible. So those verses put together the tribulation, which we talked about Sunday, puts together the events that are to come in Revelation. Uh, Daniel 10, there's a battle in the heavens, and actually an angel comes to Daniel, and he said, uh, Daniel had been fasting, and he said, for 21 days I've been held back because of, the, because of basically a, a, a satanic force, uh, and there was war. And then he comes and talks to Daniel after that. Really, really strange things happen in that chapter. And then chapter 11, it talks about, it kind of recaps what we looked at in the other chapters about world kingdoms. And Antichrist is seen there too. Then chapter 12 uh, has much to say about the tribulation um, as far as the, um, the, the times in which we'll, what will come. Verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, is called a time of trouble, which has never been and never be like it. Verse um, 2 and 3, it talks about those who um, are wise will shine as a firmament and they'll, they'll help, they'll lead others to righteousness. And then verse 4 uh, says, Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. And boy, we're seeing that right now in life. It just gets faster all the time, doesn't it? So um, length of time is mentioned there. Salvation, there will be people saved in the during the tribulation. Uh, words are sealed up until the book of Revelation is written, chapter 12, verse 4 and 9. 
And then chapter 12, verse 4 talks about the increase in speed and knowledge. So it just kind of throws at the very end of it several things about the tribulation and what's to come. Tune up. The one thing I saw in Daniel uh, about him and about his friends was the importance of strong convictions. They're important to form and keep to help us stay true to the Lord. And those convictions will always be rewarded. And so even though he and his friends suffered, God rewarded them, spared their lives, and rewarded them now, later in both. Um, the fuel up, some of the, the verses about Jesus in here. Chapter 2, verse 34 and 35, he's the stone that is cut out without hands and that destroys those kingdoms that we looked at. Chapter 3, verse 25, when they're in the, uh, when the three Hebrew boys are in the fire, the uh, king Nebuchadnezzar looks and says, I, I see four in the fire, and one is like the Son of God. And so Jesus is there with them. And someone well said that if the Lord allows us to go through the fire, he'll be in the fire with us. There's, there's a lot of practical truth to that. Then the fingers of a man's hand uh, writing on the wall, the, the words that were written uh, on the wall that the kingdom was over for, for Babylon, uh, finger of the Lord there. And then he's called Messiah twice in chapter number 9. Uh, some verses that stand out. Daniel purposed in his heart, chapter 1, verse 8, that he was going to live for the Lord and serve the Lord, and God blessed that. And then his friends, they told the king, king, we may have to go to that fire. Uh, and God may deliver us. He can do it. But if he chooses not, we're still not going to serve your God's king. If he chooses not to do it, but if not. You know, sometimes we go through things in life where uh, that verse may have a lot of meaning to us. Lord, if you'll allow this, or Lord, if you'll keep me from this, and yet it happens, but if not, Lord, I'm still going to serve you. If it doesn't happen the way I planned, if it doesn't happen like I hoped it would, um, maybe I thought, but you had some other plan, I'm still going to serve you. Daniel prayed. He continued to pray. Even though they made her law, Daniel didn't care. He was still going to be faithful to his God. And he, he prayed no matter what. And uh, hopefully it'll never be that way in our nation, but it may come to a time where um, you know, there may be some our religious freedoms are taken away and we're not able to practice them without consequence. Who knows? And then chapter 12, verse 3, they that be wise shall shine as the stars and talked about those who lead others to righteousness. And so um, the importance of telling others about Jesus, chapter 12, verse 3. I'm out of breath. Let's stop there. Any questions or any input on Daniel? A lot, a lot in Daniel. You, you thought there was a lot in Ezekiel, didn't you? There's a lot in Daniel. And that's just hitting the highlights and looking at some stuff about prophecy. Any questions or anything? All right, Lord willing, we'll be in Hosea next week. It's 14 chapters. It's longer than Daniel. But Hosea was a prophet God sent to uh, and he served under about four kings as well, like some of his, uh, some of his other brethren did. We'll, we'll get to that, uh, Lord willing, next week. All right, let's stand and close in prayer, and we'll dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for what we learned from the book of Daniel and the life of Daniel and of his friends. And, Lord, there's so much in there. What a rich book in just 12 chapters. And we thank you that you're God and that you have a plan you have a plan for this world. You have a plan for the future. But Lord, uh, for us, that seems even more important. You have a plan for every one of us. And we thank you that you're God and you're all powerful. And we can come to you by faith and trust you, Lord. And even as Daniel and his friends had to do, trust you in some very dark times of our life. And we thank you for knowing that you know the future. 
Um, and and we um, all we can do is trust you day after day. We thank you for the privilege of doing that. Pray that you'll keep us safe as we leave from here tonight, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.